This is episode 18 of The Janet Lewis Show. In the podcast, I'll be talking with people who have tapped into what they love and are living the life they imagined. Or maybe they didn't imagine it, but have become super successful at what they're doing. They've been able to figure out what gives them energy or makes them happy and turn it into a business. Or they found a career that allows them to shine. We're going to talk about their life story, how they got to where they are, and what has influenced their journey. Today, we're talking with Melanie Cruikshank, CEO and founder of Delish Cosmetics. Delish Cosmetics is all about creating clean, luxurious beauty products that are produced with locally sourced, natural, and organic ingredients. They are a pioneer in the clean beauty movement, which means producing products that are safe for human use and do not include any toxic ingredients. These products are safe for people, animals, and the planet. Melanie went from working in advertising and marketing to starting her own cosmetics company. She had always had a passion for lipstick and believed that foundation really changed her life as a teenager and helped increase her self-confidence by masking her struggle with acne. I'm totally looking forward to this conversation with Melanie for a lot of reasons. Melanie and I started our businesses um, around the same year, 2006, uh, and then we met in 2008. Uh, Orange Fish uh, featured Delish products way back in the day uh, when we were both just starting out. And then we kind of lost touch um, as that can sometimes happen. We were both staying focused and trying to build our own businesses. And then recently, Melanie reached out and we reconnected. We had such an amazing conversation. So I thought it'd be great to have Melanie on the podcast so everyone can hear about her journey. And also, uh, we can dig into some of her lessons learned along the way. So, Melanie, thank you for joining me today. Well, thank you so much for the wonderful introduction. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, I'm so happy that you reached out. It was one of those flukes. It was so funny um, because I told you all of a sudden I had seen your newsletter in my inbox and I was like, orange fish, like, oh my gosh, like they're still around. This is great. <laughs> so... I hadn't heard or seen or, you know, I'm sure like wise from you in ages. And so I was like, I'm just going to email Janet and see what's cooking. Yeah, no, that's great. I appreciate that. And, you know, I explained to you as a business owner, the challenges I was having with email, which, you know, as a yeah. small business, they're always hard to troubleshoot. Uh, but we're here to talk about you today. So um, <laughs> perhaps we can uh, start off with a bit of your history. Like, where did you grow up? What was it like? Uh, what were you passionate about as a young girl? And then we can move into how you jumped into owning and operating your own business in the beauty industry. Yeah, absolutely. It's, you know, it's really crazy when I actually sit, sit and think about it. And when I hear you talking about it, I'm like, oh, wow, you're talking about me. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> like, really me? Um, you know, it, I look back at it as a child, I kind of hated my upbringing, but I didn't. So I was raised on a farm. We grew our own vegetables. My uh, parents had lots of chickens and ducks and turkeys and cattle. And looking back on it now, I, I lived a very natural, organic lifestyle. We had a cottage in Bob Cajun, so we would go up there for the summers. Um, it didn't have any cables, so we used to live uh, as kids through the book and audio tape. <laughs> And that was like how we passed our, our summer evenings. Like I literally lived in the lake. I would get mad at my mom if she didn't bring my lunch down to the dock. <laughs> um, 
that's just kind of how I grew up very much so in nature and always wanted to be back in the city. You know, we grew up on a farm, but I had always kind of desired that city life, not realizing in hindsight how fortunate and lucky I truly yeah. was to be able to grow up on a farm. And, you know, my parents had the philosophy that if it was nice outside, you were outside. And oh, that's like, amazing. I don't want to hear from you. I don't want to see from you from dinner. It's just kind of how we grew up in the summer if we weren't at the cottage or, you know, during the fall and we had access. Luckily I had an ATV growing up. So I used to religiously ride around at a 40 acre farm and uh, with a big orchard. And so I would always be exploring old graveyards and going down to the pond. We had lots of cattle, over a hundred cattle. So I just kind of spent my days out and about in nature and wilderness. And so you mentioned the um, cottage was in near Bob Cajun, but where was the farm? The farm was just outside of Enniskillen. Where is that? <laughs> Enniskillen, I know. When people think of the wine, it's not the wine. So Enniskillen, right, uh, if you think about it, is near Hampton. So it's just outside of Oshawa. So Oshawa was like our, our big city. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. So you're a young kid. You're outside all the time. Um, what were you, like, if you, what were you super passionate about? Like, I, it sounds like you were forced outside, but if you could do anything when you were a kid, uh, what would it have been? I born to wear lipstick and heels. I have all these adorable photos of my stick and my mother was like a very true British lady and but very wore very little makeup and so she would drive to Mississauga for like Bonnie Bell warehouse sales and like buy all this makeup for me to play with. So she really indulged. I was a little girl that was wearing those black rain boots with like shorts and a tank top and like a full face of makeup like and I mean a full face of makeup like I remember like blue eyeshadow like I just didn't care I just couldn't get enough I just loved the texture we had all these little Bonnie Bell had these great kits where you could pull out little compartments like eyes lips blush and had little applicators and lip smackers and so I just kind of lived for that stuff and just like destroyed my mother whatever product she had I just like obsessed with it so how how old were you when you were you started to become obsessed with it or when you, no, know, you like first easily tried it? Two or three like easily two or three wow. like it was just like I was an anomaly I was I always say I'm the black sheep in the family because my parents my father was a policeman my mother was a stay-at-home mother who used to work in for the health department in Toronto and they just didn't know what to do with me right like I was just like I want heels and I want makeup, you know, like I just want to be glamorous. And, and from a very young age, I always wanted to be a city girl. Like I'll never forget uh, my dad worked downtown Toronto and he used to bring us in all the time. And like going to the big city was like an occasion, like dress up, like just so excited to like go to Toronto. And I always knew from a young age, I'm like, I'm going to live in the city. I'm going to be a city girl one day. <laughs> That's so funny. Always. So um, you are obviously, um, you know, we shared the story about uh, how you found foundation yes. and that helped with a teenage tragedy you were having. Yeah. So funny. Yeah. So I, I've suffered from horrific acne. I, I was on a medication called Accutane. If you've ever familiar with it, it is deadly. Like you, you know, you, you sign so many waivers about like liver damage. You, if you were to ever get pregnant, ever forbid, you absolutely have to abort. It's linked to suicide, depression. But my acne was so severe. It was my entire back, my face. Um, and I'll never forget, I was in, I went to a school in Hampton called MJ Hobbs, grade seven in the girl's bathroom and a classmate 
you know, we had, you had those big sinks where you had to like step on it at the fountain with all, yeah. the, you know what I mean? Like it was that huge sink and you just stepped on it and all the water came all the way around. And I remember a girl, a classmate being across from me and she just looked at me and she was like, your face is so disgusting. Can you, have you just never heard of foundation? Like, I don't even want to look at you. And I was like, oh my God, considering how obsessed I was with makeup, I really had never been into foundation. Like it, it was something my mother had never worn. Like we had blush and eyeshadow and lip. I knew all pencils, all about that. Foundation was something that we had never really, you know, was in the house. And so I remember going home and like sobbing to my mom and just begging her. I'm like, can you take me to Byway? And so oh. because we lived, yeah, and we lived on this farm, Byway, which is one of the closest stores, was probably like a 35 minute, 40 minute drive. Like, cause we were very rural. And so she drove me there and I discovered my very first compact and liquid foundation in porcelain. And it was the green compact. And I think at the time it was probably like 297, you know, but I didn't care. I bought the, the set, I took it home. I put on the foundation, I put on the powder. And I literally remember being in the mirror and like, could, was in disbelief. I was, could not believe it had taken me this long to discover it. And so were you an only child? No, I have an older brother. And, you know, I was very heavy. I had severe acne. I'm also dyslexic. So like, I'm just like checking all the boxes for like, you know, the perfect, and I was the tallest, right? I've been five. Uh since I was like in grade four, <laughs> probably grade three. <laughs> I've always been tall. I was heavy, severe acne, dyslexic. I would always get pulled out into the special class for tests. Like it just, I had zero self-confidence looking back at it, like completely zero. And so when I discovered foundation, it was the first time in my life that I had a form of control. Right. I cover my face and I could go back to like, and I went to school and, you know, I never made eye contact with anybody. I just would always, you know, put my head down and it was hard because I was so tall and big, but I just would want to disappear. I would never want anyone to even know who I was. And so I'll, I'll never forget going back to school the next day and kids were like, Oh my God, your face looks so much better. Like you, like, this is amazing what you did. Like, I cannot believe like, finally you did something about it. And so from there, first of all, that's mean of the kids, of course, right? Wow. The kids say the darndest things. Like <laughs> I would think to myself, like, thank God we didn't have social media and all that they have. And, you know, just like, just the way we learn and everything, like this is going back to the nineties. It was a whole different era and generation, the way that we know about things now. And, you know, my parents just, you know, they struggled. They tried to get me tutors anyway. It was a whole thing. So, yeah. And so do you think, um, that was in grade seven, and then where did you end up going to high school? So I ended up going to high school. So MJ Hobbs is only a grade seven, eight school, which is kind of funny. So you only did seven and eight there. And then I went to high school. And I have to say, by the time I went to high school, I had my foundation makeup down pat. And I was religiously obsessed with calories. So oh. I lost quite a bit of weight. And I remember going into grade nine and people being like all the boys that I had grown up with, like, oh my gosh, you've lost so much weight because I was obsessed. And I, I used to, my brother would, I would drive him crazy. I would drive my mom crazy. Cause I'd always be like, does this have a lot of calories? How many calories? Like I was obsessed with calories. I took up jogging, we had a big German shepherd. And so I would take him because we lived in the farm area. It was very desolate, these long winding roads. So I'd always take my dog buddy with me. And I would probably exercise three to four hours a day and just like basically eat nothing. Wow. Yeah. 
Wow. And so how did that happen? Like, would you say like, were you seeing things on TV? Were you looking at magazines? Like, what was that? I grew up with an obsession with the magazines like Teen Bop. And I don't know if you remember those magazines and like Jonathan Brandis and like all like the teen heartthrobs. And I was obsessed with that for like the longest time. And I think because I just had such low confidence, I just was and my girlfriends were all really skinny and didn't suffer from horrible acne like I did and so I just wanted to fit in I desperately just I would have done anything to change myself to fit in and of course you're watching television and Melrose Place and Beverly Hills 90210 nobody looks like me nobody you know suffered I you know when I look back at it now I realize I was carrying so much shame I carried shame with me up until I would say it like probably until my early 30s like really a lot of shame about just being so insecure. Yeah. Well, and I think um, like when those things are there at, in those formative years, it does take a long time for you to recognize them and maybe even work through it. So it doesn't fully affect you at this age now. Right. Yeah. And it's just different. Like I had a wonderful mother. My father was a policeman. He's just very manly and just didn't understand. Like he wasn't, you know, I don't want to say he wasn't a kind man, but you know, he didn't know how to relate. I think he tried to toughen me up. Yeah. You know, and, and my brother, unfortunately, he was horrible. He made fun of me the worst, but like, that's just what older brothers, you know, do. That's what all brothers do. (laughs) Yeah. Like, and I hated him growing up because like, he could just eat anything and everything and never gain like an ounce. Right. Like he, of course, and it just, I would get so angry. And I, I just remember not eating, there was things that I just would not eat for years, like cookies or anything. Like we were just obsessed about, I was obsessed about calories, obsessed about being skinny, obsessed about fashion, makeup. I would never leave. I just remember having like my book bag and my book bag was like my kit. I always had like deodorant. I always had my makeup, powder, like always being able to retouch anytime. Mirrors, oh my God, like all of it. And so when, like, I'm just envisioning this, like as a teenage girl, if you're in your bedroom, is it just like clothes and makeup and posters on the wall? 100%. Absolutely. That's all it was. I was just, yeah, like I just became, you know, I think I just wanted to escape my reality. Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. And so you're, you're finishing, um, high school. Yep. How did you decide where you were going to go to school? So it, you know, I don't have this, like when I look back at like how people make their decisions. So basically um, my parents had kind of given me an ultimatum. They're like, you have to go to school. And because I was so, when I had gotten to college as well. So when I left high school and I got to college, I made a decision that I no longer was going to go and ask for extra help or any of those things. Like I was determined to make it on my own. And because I'd never really been given an opportunity to do anything on my own. And so I thought I didn't care. I was going to work extra hard or as hard as I needed to in college. And what really surprised me is that I did really well in college, like really well. Like I was a really good student. Like I just, I don't know why, you know, my confidence never was boosted because people are just like, Oh, she's a disability, you know, like whereas if you think about education now and like how people learn, the stigma, you know what I mean, is really not as prevalent as what it used to be. And so when I 
finished college, I went for, so when I finished high school, my parents were like, you have to get a job, which I had always worked. I'd been working at Carol Baker Visage. So I'd worked there. So I'd started at Eaton's when I was 14 in the menswear department. Wow. How did you end up in the menswear department? You know, Eaton's was a great training ground. So I'd applied to get in for Christmas and I got in and then basically they trained you for three weeks before you were even allowed on the floor. And then from there, they only hired so many people. And then they just were like, you're, you're going to go in this department. You're going to go in this department. Like they placed you in the departments and I ended up in menswear where I was always like measuring for alterations and like the tie table. And like every single day before you started your shift, you had to pick out three ties to go out with a different dress shirt so that if anybody came in, you'd be like, oh, these three different ties go with this dress shirt or this, like, so that you could always upsell. It was all about the upsell, right? Yeah. And rating. And, and so I worked there until it closed down. It was a great job at the Oshawa center. How, how old were you? So I started 14 and I was there until they closed until I was 16, 16, 17. And then I got a job at Carol Baker Visage, which was like one of my dream jobs. So I did, they taught me how to facial wax. They taught me how to do facials. We were the first uh, place that you could actually do uh, peels, which was kind of crazy when you think about it. Full makeup applications. It was my dream job. Like I love Carol Baker, and I worked there up until my early twenties until I got like a real full time job. And so um, you're in. You're still working part time. You're also going to college at the same time. Yeah. yeah. So my parents were like, "You gotta like get a job, job, or like go, you know, college." And my dad had said to me, "He's like, if you go to university, I'll help you out, but I can't pay for it. He's like, if you go to college, I'll pay for the whole thing." And so I just kind of went through all the books and I found advertising. And one of the courses in advertising was pop culture, where you got to watch movies and TV. And I was like, well, this is <laughs> that's how I picked my that's how I picked my career, just so you know. <laughs> um, and so yeah, my dad wrote a check. I think it was four grand for like two years. And he was like, You buy all your books and everything else. And I was like, done. And so I went and obviously it was more than just like pop culture, but it showed me where I really thrived. I've always been a great saleswoman at Eaton's. I was always a great saleswoman because it's communication, right? I'm great with talking with people. I'm great at selling products, especially because I, you know, I find something I like and I can move it. And so with advertising, I knew that it was a job I would be able to do and make money at because I could just sell product. I was like, well, this is a no brainer. Like this is a great job. And so we did co-ops and my first co-op job has actually landed me my first job. So there were, I guess like 75 people in my advertising and I went to Durham college. I know it's a change name now, but it's in Oshawa. And we had a professor who worked at CBC and he worked CBC hockey night in Canada. And so they took on two interns and I applied, went through the whole interview process and I was one of the people selected and it was a paid internship, which was like amazing. And so I did that internship and then they hired me on contract. Not for sale, for some like assistant job. I was terrible at it. Well, basically I just had to order lunches and flowers. That was, I was okay. But like filing expenses, God, till this day, I don't know how they sorted that out, but (laughs) (laughs) good luck. <laughs> but it was a lot of fun working at the CBC. They have a robot that goes around, like that you get the mail out of. We went to like all of like the new season opening launch parties. Like it was a great, like advertising was great. It was totally at my scene. I got to take the go train into work every day. 
um, cause I was still living at home and I just like lived this like downtown glamorous lifestyle. Like it was fabulous. Um, and then I had left that and got a job job at Toronto star. Oh, what did you do at the Toronto star? So I was one of the first people to start selling. They had a, uh, direct to consumer channel called shop TV and it was all infomercials. Oh, no way. It was honestly, I got hired and I was like, I have no idea what I'm doing. Like I have no idea. And thank God, like they give you clients and whatnot. Yeah. I was there for a year until I got probably the finest job I've ever had in my life where I was hired at now magazine. Do you remember now magazine? I'll yeah, you for sure. And at that time it was the coolest place to work. So my clients included much music space, the government. So I remember being like 22 years old and probably making my first year, like $150,000. Wow. Not too bad from a kid from the schwa and, you know, suffered, you know, and dyslexic and everything. And, it, and that was the first time it really boosted my confidence that I was like, I can make money. I can work. Like I can yeah. do, and not only that, but working at now magazine, it was in its heyday. First of all, people were just like giving money away. Like it was going out of style. Everybody was spending. And then because, you know, one of my bestest girlfriends now that I made, she was the director at much music and we were going to all the parties. So like all the much music parties, which, so whatever you saw, like the MMVAs happening backstage is where all the clients got to hang out. And it was the best. So you're, you're working full time at this job. Yeah. But then you decide to, like, what made you decide to start Delish then? Like, what was that catalyst? Like, you're I'm, living the life here. I'm living the life. And I was always the makeup guru. So every single party, every single event, everybody was like, oh, you're going to do my makeup. You're going to do my makeup. Also, because I worked at Visage. So they were like, well, Melanie knows everything about makeup. And even that whole experience working at Visage, I was always like, oh, this could be better. That could be better. This could be tweaked. Like, I can already tell you which shades are going to be the best selling, which are not going to be the best selling. And so I had an opportunity to go back to school for chemistry when I was about 24, 25, it was downtown Toronto from a woman who had been in business. She had had the school for over 20 years. And so I said to my mom, will you do this course with me? Cause I, I just didn't have enough confidence to do it on my own. And my mom is, was crazy book smart. Uh, didn't, I obviously did not inherit that, but, (laughs) (laughs) but, um, yeah, so we did schooling for two years and learned all the breakdown for chemistry of like how to make all clean, natural products, shampoos, creams, lotions, what the bases are, how to mix them. And so basically I would just bring in all of my favorite products, all of my, uh, NARS, Bobby Brown, Mac, and start recreating them. And it's the first time truly where I understood ingredients and where I was really paying attention to like, what do you mean? This is what I've been putting on my body for years. Like, what do you mean? I have sensitive skin, you know what I mean? But I'm using like CoverGirl and Mac. Like, are you kidding me? It's also where it really opened up my eyes to like natural and organic and like what you're putting into your body could be affecting how, like, I remember the only thing I would eat like maybe once every two days in college. Cause of course I had to be skinny and I would eat the long pizza, pizza breadsticks thinking like, Oh, it's just like this light, nothing. And it's like, that was just garbage, you know? Yeah. And so going back to school, not only piqued my interest, but it really scared me. Cause I was like, 
how do people not know about this? Like, this is really like crazy that you're spending all this money. And I was noticing a big difference just of like how I was feeling using these products. And I'm thinking, but this is such like a simple change. So I just started really playing like lipsticks. I was doing pencils, just like uh, loose powder, just really perfecting those products. And people were like, oh, I like that shade. And I was like, yeah, like I made it. So yeah. And people were like, oh my gosh, you made that product. And I was like, yeah, because I'm always like mixing stuff. Because now I'm like a professional makeup person, right? I've been like hoarding it, buying it. The consumer, I used to collect like you name it, every brand from Dior to Chanel. Like I have like, I've always was on their top customer list. Like I would just like give my paychecks to all these beauty companies. (laughs) And so I was constantly mixing because I'm like, this shade needs a little bit of this and the shade needs a little bit of that. And it's not quite right. And so when I started mixing my own lipsticks, there was an opportunity to do the Drake Hotel used to have pop-up shops in the basement. And so it was through the fashion incubator. And I, oh, I remember that the fashion. Yes, incubator. And it was yeah, a yeah. Brunch. yeah, it was a brunch. And so that was like my first pop-up event. I hired a girl to do it with me. I paid her a hundred bucks for the day and we set up and I had all these products that I had filled. And just so you have an idea, because I was making all the products out of my kitchen, we had these double-ended tubes and I would go to all the different shoppers, drug mart and be like, do you have a syringe? My baby needs medicine. I have no children. Um, but it's how you would get clean syringes so that you could fill the product. And because I was going through so many, I had like a route of all the shoppers drug mart and like one lady be like, Oh, I'll give you a few extras. You know what I mean? And like weekly I would go on these syringe runs so that I could physically hand fill all of my products. And, uh, and I did this, this event and it, for the first time ever, I think I made like, like $500. And I was like, I did $500 in a few hours at this like shitty little event. Like, what if I did like more of these little events? You know, what if I actually like, like got into other locations? Cause somebody had been inquiring about, Oh, do you retail anywhere? And I was like, you think I can retail? (laughs) (laughs) Really? Um, and so I like for the first time ever was like, okay, like maybe there's something to this, you know, I'm a commission sales rep. I'm making a lot of money for a company, right? Like maybe I should see if I can do it for myself. Did you find, um, so you're selling for another company, you're selling their products, their services, and then you make the switch to selling your own products and services. Was there any type of like mental shift or any challenges that you had there? Oh my God. Well, first of all, the most devastating thing was I lost my expense account. Like the moment... (laughs) I had to start paying for park. I didn't pay for parking ever in my life because every job I had covered parking. So when I started having to put um, money in the meter, I felt like I was being robbed. <laughs> when I really? my own lunches, because like, keep in mind at 22 years old, like we were expensing like thousand dollar lunches to take out people for advertising and like boozing it up. And now I'm like, I have to pay for like everything myself. Yeah. It was just a real shock in that kind of sense. I had to get my head wrapped around that. But, you know, you don't really understand. I was also very young. And at that age, you also don't realize that, like, this other business that I was representing had a lot of things in place. Yeah. A lot of tools. And so, you know, I made it work. I luckily had had some money saved up. I'd also had already bought in a house by then. My mom at 22 was like, 
you need to buy property. You need to move out of my house. And I did. And I ended up selling a few years later and uh, moving downtown Toronto. So, cause I just wanted to be in the city so badly. And so, um, yeah, I, all the money that you think that you'll go through in a year or two, you need to like quadruple that because you will go through that like faster than anything. And yeah, that no, was true. a really hard lesson I learned is like you burn money. Like anything that you think you budgeted for, like your rent and supplies and this and this times it by five. <laughs> no joke. That's your multiplying factor. Five. No joke. <laughs> you just don't realize how things come up or like you miscalculate or you know, something doesn't come in or, you know, it just, it, it was a lot of cash and I was like really taken back by it. And, and, you know, for the first few years, I, you know, was very humbled by it, put it that yeah. way. Very humbled. So, so you, um, the, what I want to try to get at is like, um, so for example, anytime I've ever worked for someone, I've given them like 150%, 150%. I will like die to make sure your company is successful or this project is successful or whatever. And then I realized like when I was running my own business, I was kind of giving myself 80%. Did you have a, something similar no. with Delish? No. 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 Okay. Opposite. <laughs> <laughs> because like you go into work hungover and you're like, it's fine. I'll make a few phone calls. You know, I'm hitting all my numbers. Like I don't really give a crap. Whereas if when you're hungover on your time and you're trying to make money, you are furious with yourself. Like it was a huge growing up lesson. And yes, I, I definitely worked hard, but I've never worked harder for anyone than I have for myself. Yeah. Like put in more time, put in more, more passion. Time and just like you care as much. Whereas like when you're doing proposals and pitching to client, like you care, but you're like, oh, it's fine. I'll put it together and like send it out. Whereas when it's your own personal being that you're putting out there it's a for me it was different because I was just like oh are they gonna like this what are they gonna think like I don't know and you know you just question every single thing or it's not good enough the packaging they always say in business if you're not embarrassed with the first thing that you released <laughs> and so you know when I didn't have the big budget that I was used to spending and so on and so forth so it you know it did a lot of things for me it humbled me but I'll never forget my first year, you know, sitting down with the accountant and being like, okay, you made this last year and now you've made like not even half of what you yeah. made. And I was just like, but what I did say is my, the quality of my life I'd never experienced because I was doing all of these cool things, um, partnerships, fashion, like really like working. I was doing a lot of stuff on set. I was doing a lot of stuff on set with fashion television. Like these were things where I was like, but I'm doing things I normally wouldn't have access to. Yeah. And I have to say confidence wise, nothing has built my confidence up more than starting something from nothing and making it successful. Yeah. So, you know, that's the question I want to ask you. So you struggled with confidence um, through elementary school, high school, probably still in, in college. Oh, um, you said that when you got your first job and you made all that money, that really helped your confidence. Like when you were going to launch your own business and your own brand, were there any inklings of any confidence issues or had you kind of put all that stuff to bed? You know, I was really fortunate. I, my mom was super supportive. She, if I didn't have the support of my mom, I don't think I would have been able to do it. But my mom said to me, she's like, 
do it now while you're young because she's like if it doesn't work out you just go back and get a job yeah right and being like 22 23 I was like yeah you're right like why not you know at this age like what do I have to lose like you know now I'm in my later 30s it's not that I wouldn't necessarily start a new business but I wouldn't want to start from where I started from from scratch you know what I mean <laughs> like I, I have done like you want to talk about bit Harvard business school I did it backwards like I can teach it now I can assure you um <laughs> But yeah, like when you're young, you're not as scared. You're not as worried because you're like at that age, whatever, I'll just like make it happen again, you know? Yeah. And so like, I'll never forget owning a house and calling up the bank and be like, I need a line of credit. And they're like, okay. And they're like, what do you need it for? I'm like, um, home renovations. We're like, okay, here is a $50,000 line. I did that over the phone. Like, it's just like, it's just, you know, bananas when you think of it. Now, when you call the bank for anything, my God, you know what I mean? It's like, here's my life, here's my health insurance, like, you know. What else do you want? <laughs> yeah, like, what? like, at this point in time, it's like, you know, blood. Um, but yeah, so it's just, I really built my confidence up because I was able to do something and just be successful at it. So with advertising before, you know, I was having such great success, but it was like kind of like a no brainer success. Like these people are buying, you're selling, whatever. I know selling something that I made out of my kitchen. Yeah. So do you think, like, do you think that in, in all of the skills, because you've had to learn a lot of skills to run your own business, right? Like you're doing sales, you're doing marketing, probably some technical stuff. You're making yep. all the product, like all of these things are complete different skill sets. Out of all of the um, skills that you've had to learn, which one has been the most challenging? Honestly, I would say it's a continuous process. So a year ago, we switched over to Shopify. It was a month, a year ago this month, actually. And I was, I'd always had custom built, built websites. I had spent like $30,000 on yep. my website. And like, you know what, it's like, switched over to Shopify and I was horrified. I did not think when I looked at the back end, I was like, I'm never going to figure this out. Like I, like I just couldn't for some reason get my head wrapped around it. And then I remember taking a day and thinking, you know what, like you've done all this other stuff. Like you need to figure this out. You figured out so many different things from like, you know, border crossings to like getting your product in different countries and packaging and all this other stuff you can figure out Shopify. And so I went at it with a different focus of like, I'm going to nail this. And now I have to say, I'm like the goddamn queen of Shopify because now I do everything from the back end and, and, and feel very savvy and very confident. And I think one of the continuous lessons that I've learned in this business is everything that I thought I couldn't do. I've challenged myself to figure it out and to do it. Do you think that um, like your challenges with dyslexia at an early age helped you develop that skill or that mindset about approaching something different and figuring it out? Yes and no. When I think about it now, you know, I always just thought that I was lesser than everybody. I always up until, you know, my mid twenties just thought I was a really dumb person, you know, that I wasn't intelligent, that I wasn't very smart and that I was literally, I always felt like I was like fooling everybody and just coasting through life, which is kind really? of like, yeah, absolutely. I always thought like I am putting on a show. Like I am just like some one day somebody's going to figure out that I'm a liar. Yeah. Well, it's it's very common for especially women to have imposter syndrome, yeah. which absolutely. is exactly what you've just described. Absolutely. And so I really through the 
business, through the process of building my own business, it has allowed me to really build not only my confidence, but like, I'm really, you know, not to sound like a jerk, but I'm really effing clever. Like I can be shown something once and I can do it better than you. Like not to sound like a jerk, but like literally people will like, oh, and this is this. And then I'm like, oh, okay. And then I'll do it after I've watched them. I'm like, you've never done this before. And I'm like, no, this is like my skill. Like I am like, that's why when people start playing games and board games and stuff with me, when they show me like poker or anything, they're like, you're lying. You're totally hustling us. You've totally played this before. And I'm like, no, you just showed me how to do it. And now I'm going to do it better than you. (laughs) (laughs) Take all your money. (laughs) Do you think that that comes a little bit from like earlier thinking that you weren't good enough? And so now it's that thing of like trying to prove. I feel like my, the rest of my life will always be trying to prove that I can succeed and be the best. And I don't think that's a negative. No. I think no. it drives me. And I think the one thing that I, I've always had is I've always had an excellent work, work ethic. Growing up on a farm, chores were always like a huge thing. Before I left my house, like, my God, the amount of crap that I do in the morning was like what most people do in a work day. You know what I mean? Especially when it comes to livestock. And and cutting grass and all that stuff. So work and and working hard has never been a challenge for me. It's how to work, you know, work smart, not hard, right? Like how to be really, really uh, clever in getting things done and being taken seriously. And thankfully I've always had a great skill set with interacting with people and, you know, can be business professional or I just can try. (laughs) Like I know, okay. So I know like the beauty industry, beauty and fashion are like two of the toughest industries like to get into, to make a name for yourself? Have you found challenges um, getting into those spaces? You know, yes and no. I got into an industry that I knew nobody and nothing. and I didn't know anything about business and I forged my way. I am, even now, like I'm the queen of LinkedIn. If there's anybody I want to connect with, I will find them. I will contact them on LinkedIn. And I have to be honest, nine times out of 10, they will always respond to me. Yeah. Um, And I think that also comes from my advertising days where it's like, you're cold calling people. You're trying to make money. You're on budgets. You're, you know, commission. If you don't sell anything, you don't get paid. And so I've never looked at it as, yes, it's tough, but you can say that about food and beverage. You can really say that about so many different industries. And when I think of beauty, I'll never forget like my grandma and my dad, when he, they were like, you're insane. They just thought I was crazy going into beauty. They're like, it's a billion dollar industry. What are you thinking? And I was like, I'm thinking it's a billion dollar industry. I don't need a billion dollars. I'm just asking for a piece of the pie. And, you know, at the end of the day, people are always looking for things that are new. People I know for a fact can relate. When I talk to women There are so many times when I've connected with women where I actually connected with a woman who's in corporate at a major credit card. And she told me that she's like, I have my FU lipstick. She's like, every time this one boss comes into your room and I have to do a presentation, she's like, I put on your red lipstick because it is my FU to him because it's like, I have control and I have power of the room. And when I'm talking, this is what you're listening to. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, I love that. Like, yeah, you should be marketing it that way. (laughs) 
And so it's been such an incredible, like, I just love when women message me or I, I correspond or I meet new women and they're like, oh yeah, I can't go anywhere without, like, I always call it your desert island product. Like there are women who are like obsessed with mascara or for me, it's like, I can't go anywhere without blush, like blush and lipstick, like are my holy grail. Cause at least I can wear sunglasses and be chic. Right. Yeah. Um, but I always love hearing these stories where women have like a connection to that one product, even women who don't wear products. Like I have this one girlfriend, but she's obsessed with like eyeliner. So I feel like there's such a, I always say, you know, lipstick is a universal language amongst women. It doesn't matter where you live in the world. And I've been very, very fortunate to travel, but even being in like India where it's like the poorest of the poor, those women are so well put together. Their hair is immaculate. Their outfits are beautiful. They're so clean and tidy. Um, they always have like a little bit of rouge or something on their lips. Like, I just think like, wow, like as women, it is what connects us. It's what makes us feel good. And so um, throughout your time in business, you must have had some moments where you were like, why? Why did I decide to go down this road? Every week. Yeah. <laughs> Every week. Are you kidding me? Absolutely. I've even had conversations with myself where it's like, do we pack it in? Like, is this the time we pack it in? And you know what I find? And it's such like Murphy's Law. Every time I have those serious conversations, I get like an email or a text or something from someone where they're like, you can never stop making this product. I will die. It's literally my lifesaver. And then I think, okay, okay. I'm doing like, there are people who really appreciate and really connect with what I'm doing. And, you know, because I did, I started out in clean beauty a decade ago, clean beauty was not seen as what it is now. Right. It wasn't yeah. clean it was very granola all the stores that I were listed in were very hippie dippy and burning like god-awful incense um and it was just it was hard trying to be like convey that I was recreating my favorites you know people just didn't understand or it just wasn't there I definitely was a bit of ahead of my time but I'm glad that I stuck with it I was turned down a lot from different companies because they, they just didn't understand the vision but I'm glad that I, it was part of my ethos. It was really important to me, especially knowing what I knew about ingredients, suffering the way I had with acne, knowing, you know, I, I saw the future a decade ago where I knew women were going to start getting sick. Yeah. I can see when women approach me and be like, I have celiac, or I have this, I have that. I'm like, of course you do. You know, this is not our grandparents' generation. When you look at our food source, when you look at GMOs, when you look at, you know, there's not enough food in North America to feed every single person right? That's crazy. Like it's when you, when you actually look and think about it, not only that, but we actually don't have enough land. Canada's a really big country, but to properly give each and every animal enough space that it needs to eat and grow healthy, we don't have that space, but yet we have meat in our supermarkets every single day. Yeah, no, it's true. And it's just, I knew, I knew I could see in the future that we were going to have big problems and I could see that I needed to stick on my path because there would be a time, right? And, and my secondary niche market now is predominantly women who are, have had cancer, dealing with cancer, or just finished their treatment. Oh, because they, they want to go like all natural, organic. They're terrified. They're terrified to put anything and everything in their body. Yeah. And, you know, what's upsetting is, you know, for breast cancer, for instance, when you're first diagnosed, the first thing they stop, they tell you to do, the doctors stop using traditional deodorant. Don't use anything with aluminum because it affects your medication and when you go for treatment. 
but like, why do you have to be, why do you have to wait to be diagnosed with cancer to be told not to wear deodorant with aluminum? Yeah. Like, do you know how upsetting that is to know, you know, and I lost my best girlfriend. It was, it will be a year ago this month on the 25th, Nadine, she was 37. She was diagnosed with stage four breast cancer. She'd already had it for a couple of years. Like you did, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And by the time they actually figured out what it was and, um, you know, the, all the things like she immediately like got a naturopath, went vegan or, and went organic and like, you know, she'd always use my products, but now she was like, I tell me about body care. Tell me about hair. Like what, you know, and I had been on all of my girlfriends. Now I'm notorious. If you talk to any of my girlfriends, when I was going in their houses pre pandemic, you get a glass or two of wine in me. I'm going through all your cupboards in your drawers and they would go in and be like, you threw out all of our stuff. And I was like, cause it's garbage. Like, sh- like I, you cannot, as my friend, put this on your body. <laughs> And they would just be like, okay. And then they would like tell people like, yes, she went to her bathroom and like threw out all of our stuff. You know what I mean? And I was like, um, uh, yes, I did. Like, because I'm your friend and I care. <laughs> Note to self, if I ever have you over, have nothing in the bathroom. <laughs> well, I had, like, if I like really boost my call. No, but it's true. But it's like, they're just like products. When I was looking at my girlfriend, I'm like, why are you putting this on? She's like, oh, I got it in a gift bag. I'm like, do you know why you got it free in a gift bag? Because it's crap. It's free and they can sell it. Like, no, you know what I mean? Like, don't use that. Yeah. And so I know, like when I was researching you, um, I had read this one article and in the article, it had talked about um, how maybe one of your biggest challenges was really developing your brand story and figuring out like from... Like, so let's say if we look at 2006 to now, like when you started out, did you really have that brand story really fleshed out? I'm probably going to guess no, because I'm the same thing with Orange Fish, right? No, and not only that, but I would love when people would be like, who's your target audience? And of course, everybody has a standard answer, like 25 to 65 women. You know what I mean? Like, you don't know who your customer is until you meet your customer. And I have done shows like I would do a show at Chuck E. Cheese if I was invited. You know what I mean? Like I have shows for years. I have hauled my product around this city in different cities. I've flown all over Canada to the US. I have flown or and, and demoed my product every single place possible to the point where I'll never forget like trying to uh, walk along um, Queen Street and I had my cart with all of my product and it flipped over, mascara, glosses everywhere, all throughout. And this is like Queen West at Bathurst. And like trying to like figure out like, oh my God, like stopping traffic and like crying and like trying to get all my stuff back in my cart. Like, yeah, you know, until you meet your customer. And then also too, just like finding out who I am as a person. You know what I mean? Like I, I've evolved. Like the message has always been the same. The message has always been about connecting with women about lipstick language, right? Like we have our own language. It doesn't matter. We don't have to speak like, because I've traveled so much, I'll never forget being, God, where was I? Somewhere in Europe and a woman was like lipstick. And I was like, delish. And then thankfully you can just show Instagram, right? And it's like, but isn't that amazing to connect with somebody over in a different country? Like they just like your lipstick. Well, and women comment on that stuff all the time. Yeah. And, and women, you know, we, 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 we know women don't dress for men. Women dress for women, right? They That's dress true. for other women. Like 
when I'm going to a party or when my clothes are too snug and you know, my fella or whatever is like, Oh, don't worry about it. I was like, I don't give a shit about you or what you think. Like, this is about like me feeling good. And like, so-and-so, cause like we're, I, I don't know about you, but like all of my girlfriends are really incredibly well-dressed. So I'm always like, well, we got to look the same. You know what I mean? <laughs> we're all like well-dressed and we, and I love seeing what they're wearing. Where did you get that? Like, as if I don't know, cause I was with you when you bought it, but you know, like, we, yeah. it's like, it's just that fun. That's just kind of how women are with each other. At least that's how I am with like my group of girlfriends, right? Like we love fashion. We love looking good, but I know when I'm dressed well, I feel my best. It's like during the pandemic, I think I mentioned to you, I wake up every day. And even as I make my coffee, I will put on my lipstick. And I love seeing like my lip print on my mug because I'm like, this is normalcy. This means like I'm getting back to business, right? Like I'm working, I've got my lipstick on. It makes me feel good about myself. It makes me feel pretty. And we know psychology wise that when you look in the mirror and you see that you look good, you instantly feel better. Yeah, no, it's true. It's true. And so you've been running this business uh, 14 years, over 14 years, right? And so at what point in time do you think that you ever thought, um, wow, I made it? Or you had an experience where it's like, oh, I can't believe that just happened. This is so exciting. You know, I don't, first of all, I don't think I've made it. I think there's so much more to do. It's an ever evolving beast. Um, but you know, one of the things I've had a lot of really pivotal things happen. Um, one of them, I think the most recent one for 2019 was I collaborated with Barbie. Oh, I love Barbie. So that was, and I'm a diehard Barbie fan. Just so you have an idea before I was born, my mom was collecting Barbies. My mom and I had over, like I have in storage right now, over a hundred Barbies in boxes that we collected that are special limited edition. I'll never forget when they did their um, 60th, was it their 60th anniversary? The 50th, the Sorry, 50th birthday party. Yes. I had a party, all of my girlfriends, we dressed as our favorite Barbie. So I remember going to Fashion Week and I remember seeing that they had collaborated with Cake. And I was like, next time they do an anniversary, I'm going to be part of it. Like I was determined. And so flash forward a decade and I'm with one of my bestest girlfriends. She's a jewelry designer. And she said, I need, I need to talk to you, but it's very confidential. And I was like, oh, do tell. And she was like, you're a Barbie fan. And I was like, obviously. And she's like, what? Like, I am doing a contract for Barbie for their 60th anniversary. What should my collection look like? And I was like, first of all, are they working with another beauty brand? She's like, I don't think so. I don't know. And I'm like, second of all, will you do an email introduction? And she was like, yes. And I said, third of all, hoops, pearls, big gems. Like, I walked through the whole collection. And she did an amazing collection. It was Biko. And uh, she was like, you're such a big help. Like, this is great. And then a week later, she did the introduction. And I was literally like, I came in with like my black Barbie shirt, my helmet length, black leather blazer. And then I brought in my favorite Barbies. Like my no way. favorite all-time Barbies in the boxes. Yeah, so I had like 10 of them. I even had Kamora Lee Simmons, like, because I needed to channel her energy. <laughs> <laughs> I have the Barbie book, like the big encyclopedia yeah, book. Yeah, yeah, of course. And so I drive out to Mississauga. I go to Mattel and they bring me in the most fabulous 
pink Barbie room and they've got all the original prints of Bob Mackie plus like the big book from Asseline and it's just like a girl's like dream like it was my dream and so I sit there I get everything all set up I knew exactly what the collection was going to look like and so I sat down with Amanda and Emily and I showed them and they were like where did you we've never even seen these Barbies before and I was like oh yeah I got, I've got Mountie Barbie I've got the original Raptors Barbie like I have got Barbies coming out of the yin yang and they were just like oh my god plus Kamorley Simmons hello <laughs> so they were just like wow and by the time I left that meeting I had a contract no way that's and that amazing was one of the proudest moments and I remember getting in my car and like bursting out into tears so I'd lost my mom four years ago very very sad. so before years this September and my mom we were in Europe she wasn't feeling great. We came back and within a week she had passed very, very suddenly. We didn't realize she had stage four pancreatic cancer. Oh no. We found out on a Friday, she passed on a Sunday and it, and that was like my whole backbone, everything. So it was one of my proudest moments, but it was also like the one person in the entire world that would have like been over the moon would have been my mom. Yeah. That's probably the hardest thing is when you have these moments like this, that's the person that you want to share it with, right? hundred percent. And because I felt like we were robbed because she was there to see like all the nitty gritty, bought me groceries, like supported me so much. And now it's like, here I am like making it. And you know, she's not here to see or share in my success. So that was really, you know, but I've had so many of these moments where I feel proud. Like I'm an independent, clean brand. I have a hundred percent equity of my company, which people are always so shocked about. Yeah. And I went in there and they've never worked with anyone like me. And I made that happen. Yeah, no, that's amazing. And the other thing too, that's amazing. Like I was on a call yesterday and the woman that I was talking to She's, she was super interesting, but she's like, you know, people think it's easy to start a business. They think it's easy to build a brand. And, you know, you and I have been building a brand since 2006. We've seen all the challenges, how economics change, how the world things influence it. It's not easy. There's so many things that are outside your control and you could have a year, for example, planned for 2020. Here's everything I'm going to do in 2020. Well, guess what? No, you're not, you know? And so it's definitely not easy to run a business. It's not easy to build a brand. Well, people don't realize they, you know, when they think you're an overnight success, it's like they haven't, they don't know the first decade you put in. Yeah. Right. And this is not a game. This is like the only people who really win at this game are the ones who are doing it slow and steady. Right. No, it's true. It's true. And it has been, I have luckily learned a lot of lessons that haven't cost me huge financially, but I've also been able, this has been such a long learning experience and obviously I continue to learn, but you know, I think this is just also part of the journey, you know what I mean? Like I feel, I don't know about how you feel, but I actually feel like I'm doing something with my life. Yeah. Well, you know, a lot of the times your business is like your child. Yeah. Right. So the hardest thing is like people ask, like people ask me, are you going to sell orange fish? And it's like, uh, it's like selling your kid, you know, like who are you selling it to? And well, you listen, and I had a conversation. I would sell the kid in a heartbeat if the price is right. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, honey, everyone's got their price. Let's be honest. But 
Well, you know, I'm, one of the things that one of the things you and I talked about was like even bringing on a partner and like you want to make sure you have the right partner that has the right values, right? Well, and that's the thing. And I think I've been really fortunate because I've seen, you know, and I've been told this many times by my lawyer and by my accountant that there is no uglier divorce than two business partners splitting up. Yeah. Like that is the ugliest divorce you will ever see is business. And I've seen it with friends and it is just, I've been very fortunate that I had my mother for as long as I did to like be that point person and, and bounce things off and read all my literature and, and so on and so forth. And I, I feel like I'm always with business. You're always rediscovering yourself. I feel like when I lost my mom, I had to rebuild more confidence. I'm like, okay, I don't have my mom to look at over everything. I'm going to have to like really figure this out. And even with the pandemic, I thought to myself, I'm not going to panic. How can I make this the best thing that ever happened to this business? Yeah. And I really do feel like, and this as, you know, as an entrepreneur, we're always adjusting, right? So when people are like, oh my God, it's a pandemic business. It's like, well, guess what? When you're self-employed, this is life. This is just what happens, unfortunately. And it's happening to the world. So you're not alone. You're not by yourself. But what I think is if you can last through a pandemic and still, you know, be able to get by, my God, like think of when we, when we're, when we're out of this, like I feel like, like, watch out. I'm just going to even be more unstoppable than what I was before. Because not only did I get through the pandemic, I just know from talking with like different manufacturers and people, dozens and dozens of businesses have folded, like in, yeah. street, in restaurants, like go up and down King and Queen street right now. Look at all the for lease signs. Yeah, no, it's true. And you know, that's part of the benefit of in some ways during the pandemic, you know, there's benefits and drawbacks to being a small business. 100%. And I feel for me with my small business, um, I haven't had as big of an impact from the pandemic, right? And I'm very grateful for that, but it doesn't mean that you stop hustling because you still have to make, pay all your bills, right? You've got to hustle in a different way. And I think this has been a great opportunity for me personally. We started doing, I started doing this program. It came to me and I was like, why am I not doing like custom color profiles? Like just email me. Cause women had been emailing me all the time throughout anyway, saying what shade do you think will work? And so I just publicized it. Like guys, we're doing free custom color profiles. Email me an image of yourself and I will give you a custom profile it basically has saved my business. Oh, that's amazing. And so when you do a custom profile of people, like do you get on a Zoom call with them to walk them through it or you just send them a list of what it is they need? I send them a list, but you know, women right now, listen, we're not recreating the real. People know how to apply lip gloss, lipstick, mascara. Do they? Well, <laughs> like stay within the lines, like you'll be good. Like, it's, it's pretty, uh, you know, I haven't had to do that. I'm happy to do that with anybody. We also have 24 hour messenger. So if anybody messages us from our website or Instagram or whatever, there's somebody to respond all the time. And, you know, it's just been having that like deeper connection with my customers. Yeah. Like it's been so wonderful a, because it's a pandemic. So it's like, you don't get the same human interaction. So the fact that I'm able to communicate with all these women who just want to feel better it's like, that actually brings me joy because I'm like, well, I can, I can assist you with that. You're a beautiful woman. Like, let me, let me help you out, you know? Yeah. And I don't know about you, but I feel like people during the pandemic have become more compassionate, more aware about um, buying local, supporting local, yes. buying made yes. in Canada, supporting Canadian companies. Yes. And they've also been like, I did this thing with my audience where I asked them to 
even just share orange fish with their friends and family. And if they shared it, I'd give them like a $10 credit or whatever. And I've run that promo in the past with very, very, very small impact. During the pandemic, it's been much larger. And so people are much more open to helping and they also feel like they want to help. People, I feel like too, it's been an amazing opportunity for me personally reaching out to other business owners. It's like, if it wasn't a pandemic and I got your email, would I have necessarily reached out? I don't know because I would have been like, the reality is we're so running around like crazy, (laughs) working on such big projects and like traveling and, and global markets and all this stuff where it's like, you know, I connected with, you know, a fella who was one of the original founders of EOS lip balms through mm-hmm. a group chat while watching Bobby Brown. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, I am blown away with the people that I've been able to connect with because people are open. And I'll tell you, it has never been a better time to be a Canadian brand, but most importantly, a clean brand. If you look at the numbers or the statistics in China, the first category that surged more than anything else for the first time ever was clean beauty. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was because people now, people, you know, who have been kind of like conscious about what they're eating, now people are extra conscious of what they're eating and what they're well, putting in their faces. Yeah, and listen, people have just finally learned how to wash their hands. <laughs> Honest to God, I have to tell you, being self-employed, I, you know, I pay for benefits and so on and so forth, but I can't afford to be sick. You can't afford yeah. to be sick. When we're sick, that is big trouble in the business. You know what I mean? Because I just, I'm so involved in everything. And so when they were like, Oh, wash your hands. I'm like, you fools always should have been washing your hands. I've always carried disinfectant. Like what is wrong with you people? Or the thing that my mother used to say, and I, I am like this old lady now where I just say to people, I'm like, cover your mouth, cover (laughs) your mouth, wash your hands. Like, don't be gross. (laughs) <laughs> don't be gross um okay so I want to I'm very aware of your time but there is one thing I kind of want to touch on well maybe a couple um one is like you talked about like finances and stuff earlier or making like financial mistakes and god knows I've made more than a few mm-hmm. but if you were to look back because I think people can really learn from this um is what do you think in your business was probably the biggest financial mistake that you made And I I can share mine first if you need time to think. Sure. Yeah. So, um, oh, you'll love this. They were, um, there was going to be a big trade show downtown Toronto at the Metro Convention Center, and it was America's Next Top Model. That's how they were um, marketing it. And it was going to be massive. And so what I had decided for the uh, Orange Fish booth at that time is I was going to use this new video technology where people come to your booth and they can basically record, like pick a product and record a video on the spot and then share it on social media. And I invested heavily in the solution with another small business and uh, the solution did not work. So the day of the event, A, the event was horrible. They didn't even get near the numbers that they thought they would through the door. But B, this woman that had provided this video technology, it didn't work. Like, it didn't work at all. So she was blaming the Metro Toronto Convention Center. 
the Metrotronic Convention Center was blaming her. And it's one of those things where it's like, I don't care who's responsible, but I just paid five grand for the weekend for this. So let's make this work. And um, the one thing is, yes, I lost the money. But the second thing that I learned from that experience is really know who it is that you're working with. Because yeah. that woman, even when she came across challenges, she ended up in my booth crying. And as another business owner, you should not be crying in front of your client when your client is at an event and there's customers that her staff is trying to sell to. Yeah, 100%. Do you know what I mean? Like so unprofessional. And the, at the end of it all, I was like, you know, you should really just refund me. And she refused to refund me. And she's like, we'll do it again at another event. And I was like, because of her behavior, I didn't even want to give it another try. If she had managed herself differently, 100%, I might've been more open to it, right? But I was just like, wow. And I was like, that was a big financial mistake. <laughs> but you know, this is, the, this is the thing. And I think anybody in business can relate to it. Cause I, I honestly, there's been so many small mistakes that I've made in the sense of like, and they're all pretty much event related, but also too with products. Like there are things when I think of all the money I invested piecemeal, it would have been better to just put all that money together at the time that it was ready and invest in something proper rather than just like trying to do it piecemeal by piecemeal by piecemeal. But also with events and whatnot, like everything is such a crapshoot. I cannot tell you how many times I've gone to events and like nobody showed up, yeah. or, you know, and you've paid to be there. Like I have been stuck in the most uncomfortable, horrible. And then, you know, when you get vendors together, they're all ranting and raving. Yeah. Revolt. <laughs> And it's just, I think, you know, this is a process that we all have to go through because this is what teaches you. And from experience, and unfortunately, I wish I could say like, I'm going to save you from doing this. Like there are definitely advice that you can give to people to help them. But the reality is until you've had these exact experiences, how will you know? And how, how will you get that feeling where like, mm, I don't know about this. You know, it's like dating. Yeah. You've dated enough people where you're like, this guy, no. And then you'll go out with them. And you're like, why didn't I just listen to myself? <laughs> right? It's true. It's true. It's the same thing in business. And even now, you know, through the pandemic, people have been approaching me for different things. And because you just want to be out and doing business again, and I just stop myself and think, you know what? I've gone down these roads before. These are, these are not taking me in the direction. And I think the best solitude or the best solid advice I can give anyone in business is really think about the opportunities. Do a pie circle and write down all the things that take up your time. And yeah. then within that, write down which makes you the most money. Because if there's something you're investing a ton of time, but you're making the least amount of profit, it doesn't make any sense to do. Yeah. Why are you doing it? And so these are the things that I've had to go back. I've gone back to basics where it's like, it's okay to say no. That is your right to say no. You have to spend your time and energy accordingly to get you to where you want to be. So what is your end result that you want? What are your targets? What are your numbers? What are your vision? And then what is, when you look at this wheel of energy, how much time is it taking and where is it really paying off? And that's from experience. Like, you know, I'm done with like the little Mickey Mouse events and, you know, so on and so forth. And even like gift bags. Oh, it's going to be this and we're going to do this and da, da, da. it's like, I've done all that. Yeah. 
it's not worth <laughs> it. He is best invested. Yeah, no, it's true. And that's great advice. It's true. It's true. But, you know, I think earlier, I have always been like an early adopter, especially when it comes to technology. And when I wanted to launch Orange Fish, e-commerce was just starting. You know, it was, it was, it was brand new. And so I was thinking I was getting into the e-commerce business, but in actuality, I have a retail an online retail store. Yes. And so one of the things that I am always cautious about is when there is something new coming out, like a new app or a new process you should use or a new blah, 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 whatever. And I'm like, before, when I was younger, I would have jumped on it. Yes, let's get in there. Let's do it. And now I'm like, let's give that six months eight months, maybe a year, see how it's growing, see how it's playing out. Because I've seen so many things come in. This is a trend. You have to do it. And then just as quickly as it comes in, it disappears. So as a small business, you spend your time, energy and effort, getting to know it, trying to implement it, blah, 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 whatever. And there's no return on it. And that's the same thing with like, we're inundated with like all these retail platforms that are reaching out. And the first thing I say is like, well, what other brands do you have that are similar to mine? How are they performing? What is the expectation? And it's almost like they're shocked that you're even asking them. Yeah. Right? Because they're like, but I'm a retail platform. And it's like, I understand that. I'm a business. <laughs> no. And before, you know, when you're in business, you're just so eager to like do and be in everything. And anybody yeah. I've ever spoken to in business, we've given too much stock away. You know, we've done too much. We've Nobody showed up. Like these are all lessons where when I, for the first five years of my business, I was putting free product in anything and everything, you name it, you know, and every organization, every donation, every, 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 like I was giving away more product than I was making in sales. Like, you know, and I think you've got to get to a point and now the way with the pandemic, it shift everything to me in such a positive because everybody now is shopping direct, right? Like they're going, this is like yours. They're shopping directly from myself because when I'm reached out to e-retailer, it's like, I love being listed on a new retailer, but what are, you know, oh, what, you only offer dropship and you still want 50%? No, honey, no. You're not taking the investment in me. I'll give you 20%, you know? And, and I think people are just like, it's a new generation of conducting business. And I think I've really had to build my confidence to be like, no, I've seen enough of you guys coming in and out. This is the way, if you want my product, you're approaching me. This is the way I'm doing it. And nine times out of 10, they'll do it. Yeah. I actually even do that with like marketing or advertising people that approach me because they think they can get the same results that they get in the U S. And so anytime they approach me, I'm like, okay, have you worked with a Canadian business before? Give show me an example and show me what results you've gotten. And nine out of 10 times, they can't show me an example. They oh, yeah, can't the, show me results. It's like confidential. And I was like, no, it's not. I'm like, you can tell me what other brands you have. First of all, I can look at your platform. And secondly, you can tell me if they've performed well or not. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. This, like this has to, and I think that's the thing that I've really learned in business, that it has to be equal. Yes. Right? Yeah. And it's a foreign concept because before, when you, for me, when getting listed retailers, you were just like, this is the best thing. Like, you're so dependent. And now it's like, this is a partnership. Like, how can we make this work together? And is it the best suited? And I'll tell you, I say a lot more no's than I do yeses. Yeah. Well, I think what people have forgotten, like, even though your business is online, business is still about people. It's still about relationships, you know? And so you still have to build those relationships with your customers. You have to build the relationships with your suppliers, with your distributors, whatever. And it's not just all electronically done. 
Oh, absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Not only that, but like even with us, like any single person that ever does online with us, they all get a custom handwritten note. Like we, the appreciation of every single time somebody places an order or shops or knows delish, that is like, there is a heartfelt like acknowledgement of like how much you're appreciated and your business and supporting what, what I do. Yeah. I do that at orange fish too. Um, okay. So we're um, getting close to the time, but I have one more question for you. Awesome if you're way. ready for it. <laughs> do it. I stole this question from Tim Ferriss, um, but it's if you could have a billboard anywhere and you could write anything on it, what would your billboard say? Oh, it would be so cheesy. It would definitely be kind to yourself. Be kind to yourself. Be kind to yourself. It would say, it would basically say, be kind to yourself and you are your own best friend. Yeah, I like that. Because, you know, in our heads, we have such terrible dialogues. The things that I say to myself, I would never say to anyone I love or care about. I would never say it. I break promises to myself, but I will never break a promise to a friend, a client, a customer, a family member. Why do I break promises to myself? Why am I so unkind? Why, when I give advice to other people, like the way girlfriends or friends are being treated is unacceptable, why do I allow that treatment to myself? So be kind and be your own very, very, very best friend. I love that, that's great. Well, Melanie, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much for having me. That just flew by, I feel like it yeah. We could talk forever, for sure. Um, so if people wanted to connect with you online, uh, what's the best place for them to find you? So they can go to Delish, D-A-L-I-S-H, cosmetics.com. Or honestly, you can direct message me, Melanie, M-E-L-A-N-I-E, at delishcosmetics.com. DM us. I'm available basically 24-7, especially during a pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> and you also mentioned you're on LinkedIn, so people could also connect with yeah. you. LinkedIn, Melanie Cruikshank, C-R-U-I-C-K-S-H-A-N-K. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Melanie. Yeah, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Have a great day. Bye.